Okay, here we go. My name's Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio, podcast number 183. I think it's 183. If not, it's 184. It's 182. <laughs> no, we already did 182. I know that for oh, okay. sure. Okay, okay. Zen Parenting Radio, it is a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 6, 9, and 11, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. So the key is, what I just said, is resources. I have a few resources I'm going to help our listeners with. Okay. We also have a question from one of our listeners. She used that... um, thing on our website where they can ask a question so i forgot what she asked i listened to it our recording device yeah so you can actually like it's almost like a uh a voice messaging it is it's voice messaging it's like an answering machine how about we found out this weekend that my sister has an answering machine they're pretty old school over there that's that's like really that cracked me up really bad and then their 14 year old son was like was is that bad i'm like well i just feel like we've gone through a lot of what you know what i like about answering machines is you don't pay a monthly service for them well and that's probably why and their answering machine didn't have a problem it's just i feel like i've had voicemail since i was in my 20s right haven't i uh yes you were actually the first person that had voicemail that i knew at the fee house Oh I my said, gosh, I had it in college? Yeah. I wow. Said, I said, what is this? I didn't understand it. Wow. I don't remember that. Yeah, it was, that was I back in you. 1993. Yeah. So, um, and we're going to do a follow-up discussion, five minutes. Five minutes. Give or take. On uh, We had a talk about the Supreme Court case last week regarding Hobby Lobby. I feel like we uh, possibly may have um, unintentionally misrepresented. You're saying we did not. We have a small disagreement as a result of that. So here's um, – I'll, I'll start talking and then I know that you're not going to – it's not going to take much effort for you to respond. Okay. Um, I feel that if you didn't listen to it, listen to it and then listen to our show. But I feel after last week's discussion about the Hobby Lobby Supreme Court case that there was a possibility that we may have misrepresented the information. And that specifically what I'm talking about is I feel like af- after somebody listened to our show, they could – um, ascertain that Hobby Lobby does not pay for any woman's uh, contraceptive choices as a result of the su- Supreme Court case. What actually happened was they took away some of their choices, but not all of them. And honestly, even after I did that show, I still did not know. I, I did not know. I, I figured it took away all birth control pills. And here's the thing is I think that you are assuming we misrepresented when it's that you really didn't understand it I yourself. didn't understand it. And I feel like maybe a listener may draw the same conclusion. But we – right before we did the show, Todd just played about five minutes and we never said all. Right. We never said all. And I told – I was saying to Todd, I read right off of a piece of paper what the choice was. And the thing that I was just saying to Todd that he – I was um, – Todd is very literal in that – you know, he's like, well, they didn't take away all their choices. They just took away these choices. Or you would say it the positive way. They still have 16 other choices. They just don't have these choices. And the thing that is very important for me to say to everybody, I guess, but that I was saying to Todd, is that why are any choices being taken away? And why does someone else get to decide what my choices are? And I was just telling to Todd that for the past three or four years, when I've gone to my regular uh, ob gyne uh, appointment, they have been recommending the IUD to me, which I have not and, been interested in. And as a guy, I had no idea what that was but, until you just said it. Yes, and and even though that was that's not necessarily a choice for me, I 
if I worked for a company that that could no longer be recommended Mm -hmm. or that it'd be recommended, but I'd have to pay out of pocket because someone higher up doesn't agree with it. And and here's the most important thing. The scientific information, what they say is that these birth control devices are abortion creating devices. And if you read the science about what they do, that's not true. Right. So I think the bottom line, and I'm going to wrap this up because Todd thought I'd gone forever and I'm not going to, is that it is, it's not even about a slippery slope, even though it can be. There is no reason. Yeah, forget to about take, the slippery slope. Not, where it is right where now. Where it is right now, because it is a slippery slope, but that's not what I'm going to focus Got on. Got it. Is why does anyone have the right to take away any of my choices in that arena? And when someone says to me, which many people did after that show, well, you shouldn't be upset because you still have these choices. Well, you want all your choices. You, you as a man, have all your choices. And you, as a woman, are limited. And it doesn't make sense why I don't have my choices. Right. Because men are making that decision for me. And, and I, I'm not, it's not, this is not a man bashing thing. I think it's a misunderstanding. Right. I don't think men understand. Well, it's very hard as a man to put myself in a position of what it's like to be a woman because, quite frankly, I am not a woman. And that's why women need to be brought to the table when we have this discussion, if it be that they work there or it be that you talk to your female employees. You know, they're, they're ha- you can't make that decision for someone without the information. We did a show a couple of years ago about, or a year or two ago, about a politician who believed that if women were raped, they couldn't get pregnant. Right. And he walked around as a grown man in his 60s thinking that was true. And he based his decisions off of that misinformation misinformation and god forbid he was a politician who was making decisions for our country so the thing is is we there that's those are the pieces where i get challenged it's not about the literal well you have 16 you just don't have four it's about what that means as a whole and that is it oh i know and i said on the show there were two women on the Supreme Court, and I was very wrong. There's three. The one I didn't have in my head was Elena Kagan. I had the Kager. The She's Sonia, my favorite Supreme Court justice. Sonia and Ruth, um, but I had forgotten. What's about Ruth's Elena. last name? Any idea? Uh, Ginsburg, Bader Ginsburg. Oh, okay. She's the one that wrote the 35-page deal. She was pretty upset. Yeah. And I didn't read it. Yeah. Well, I did. Um, you didn't read all 35 pages. No, no. I read the, the thing that came around on the internet. Yeah, I didn't read 35 pages. So that's it, honey. Good job, sweetie. Thank you. Way to... Keep it tight. I know that was important because, as and I think Todd's right, we wanted to focus on other things this week. We just wanted to sum up just because I didn't want Todd to be concerned about us misrepresenting anything. Well, and because that came out like half hour before we pressed yes, record, so yes. we didn't really have we didn't a have whole everything. lot of time to deliberate. Correct. Um, I first want to talk about our first par- partner, uh, John Kelly. He's our dentist. Um, and we're going to bring our listeners through this whole process, but our daughter's got x-rays. And the whole idea is that they, they're they probably going to get some things done in their teeth. Expanders. In, expanders. Thank you. That's the word. And the goal is to at least reduce or eliminate the old school braces. The need for the typical orthodontics. It's a different kind of orthodontics. So we're just beginning this process, but I'm kind of excited to kind of slowly bring our yeah. listeners along in this because the bottom line is that there are um, – there's byproducts. There's um, – there's negatives about braces. Well, you know what I love about this? I feel like it fits so well into what we talk about in the show because we live our lives in such a way where we have these where we have these belief systems and this is how you do things and this is what you do next and you you know you you know you go to school then you go to college and you get the job and there's all different ways mm-hmm. to not only live life but to view life and this orthodontic thing is one of those yeah, what it, did he call it? Ortho something. Well, he's got fancy words for it, but But um, it's another way. Well, and the bottom line is it's the um, expanders uh, if you have 
have just old school braces, sometimes braces are at the expense of your facial development, your pathways, how your face looks. So we're going to kind of go with this new technology that he's a part of. So John J. Kelly, uh, 5350 West Devon Avenue, Chicago, Illinois, 773-631-6844. So... Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is a, uh, public service announcement. Okay. PSA. Uh, for those of you who are on Facebook or just read the news every uh, year, there's all these kids who un- unfortunately die because of heat exhaustion, because their parents leave them in the car, leave them in the car mm-hmm. through no ill will, or at least most, I would assume most of them through no ill will. It's just, they're too busy. Yeah. And we always talk about being present and not trying to do too many things. Mm-hmm. And I saw a bunch of, like, I think one kid developed this idea of putting a rubber band in between, um, you know, on, you know, you're on the left side of the car when you are driving and there's a rubber band that he made that fit between, you know, the doorway. So in other words, you wouldn't be able to go out of the door. You open the door, you see the rubber band, you're reminded someone's Exactly. Up Another thing I heard is, you know, you take your left shoe and you throw it in the back seat or something like that. Very simple uh, gestures that you can do to remove the possibility or at least mm-hmm. reduce the possibility of doing something so horrible. I mean, didn't Oprah have a few people on the show? She had a woman on the show a few years back, and she also rediscussed this on one of her life classes um, that, you know, it was a woman who she was a vice principal or maybe even a principal of a school, and she was driving to drop her daughter off. She realized she was too early, so she went and got some coffee, and then she forgot what she was doing because she was in rote. Mm-hmm. You know how you do that yeah. when you're driving? You know, she got her coffee, so she forgot, and yeah. her daughter was asleep in the back, and she pulled up to her school, got out, took care of her day, and her yeah. daughter had been in a car. And that's the thing is, you know, like, she didn't do anything intentionally, mm-hmm. and she's not a bad person. Right, exactly. She, there was, that was something that because she wasn't in present time, because she was rote, because she was in her thoughts, because she was worried about what came next. And these are things she said. I'm yeah, not, right. I'm not speaking for her. She said, I was worried about my day. Yeah. I was already on to my day. And, you know, that we just have to, the, the practice of being mindful, um, you know, and again, it is a practice because it's not easy to do all the time, but it can help us in every aspect right. of our life. So, um, so the, the, the gist of today's show, we're going to talk about empathy, which is a okay. reoccurring theme. And I thought that there was some pretty cool stuff from this blog written by Gary, or no, Gail Allen and Deborah Farmer Chris. And it has to do specifically to boys, but I think it's universal. And the name of the blog is called Why It's Imperative to Teach Empathy to Boys. But it's just can, a. Can I ahead. ask you a question real sure. quick? Are we, do you believe with what we're doing that we have time to talk about the three things I have? Because it might make people hold on and listen. Maybe. Okay. Shmaybe. Shmaybe. Is that a word? Well, what I told Todd is I came up with three, uh, not came up, but kind of put together three things that content people do. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting, but we'll see if we have time for it. I hope we do. Me too. Um, So there was, I think there, I feel like there's a couple of definitions of empathy, but sweetie, you use your old, whatever. How do you define empathy? Um, Well, it's interesting because last week we talked about what it means to be an empath and empath comes from the word empathy. Um, empathy is just the ability to understand, uh, feel, interpret um, other people's emotional experiences, and most important to to understand what it uh, to go to the place where you can walk in their shoes. Maybe not literally, but you can 
you know, process through what they may be experiencing. And so you therefore understand them better and have a more compassionate response toward them. It's a really good definition. I actually found it says they, uh, the writers or whatever, these scientists, they define empathy as the ability to sense other people's emotions Mm -hmm. coupled with the ability to imagine what someone else might be thinking or feeling. Yeah. So um, in this article, some of it may be specific to boys, but it really doesn't matter. Why is empathy important? First, it says it breeds courage. Okay. Um, They found, they did these studies, found that participants with higher levels of empathy are more likely to engage in assertive bystander behavior. Basically, what that means is that if you if you are an empathetic person, it would be very difficult for you to allow a fight to break out in front of you without doing something. You know, so many um, uh, different kinds of what am I saying? Research has been done where they will have people either fighting or arguing or pushing each other around or throwing things, and people will just walk by. Right? They won't do anything yeah. because they're either numbed out yep. or they're too afraid yep. or they don't give a crap. Right. They're like, I don't care what those people are doing. People who who say things to me like, I don't, I can't stand those people, mm-hmm. or all those people are awful, or where they kind of like they decide that everybody in a certain place, area, culture, race, whatever Mm -hmm. is bad, they have already eliminated them from their concerns. And so if they see something going on, then they don't care. And, um, and and in no way do I think that's who they are really. I think that they have shut that part down. They're blocked. Because they have the ability to open that back up. I mean, the language that we use is living from a heart-centered place or living from a thought place. Your belief systems that aren't always that great some of them may be wonderful, but some of them may be very limiting. Right. Live in your head. Right. Your heart center, your empathy, your ability to connect with others, that's from your soul. So the first one was that empathy breeds courage. You want to know what else empathy does, sweetie? What? It breeds happiness. Okay. People with empathy have stronger interpersonal connections and are more eager to collaborate, effectively negotiate, demonstrate compassion, and offer support. So, you know, when we talk about why is empathy important, it has the ability to connect with one another in a loving way, which then by default breeds happiness. Well, and I would even say, you know, because you're right, everything you said is true, but I think that's our whole reason for being here on the earth. I think that our, you know, when people say what's life all about, I wouldn't be so crazy to think I could explain that because I don't really know. But I think one of the things that is very clear is that it's to help each other and to connect with each other and, you know, life begets life, you know, to be, to be connected to each other and, and be compassionate and cooperative. Um, and so when we are doing that, we're in flow. Yeah. We feel good. Right. When you're helping somebody, when you're um, recognizing somebody, when you're feeling emotion with somebody, you feel, you know you're in purpose. Mm-hmm. You feel in flow. Well, it says um, after engaging in a six-month review of its schools, this is someplace in England, they submitted a report that placed empathy in the top three important outcomes for its students. And what's interesting is if I can get on our soapbox for a second – at school, they don't worry about empathy. No, they don't. They worry about reading and writing and math. Well, and let's be clear about our language. Many teachers do concern themselves with empathy, but the core curriculum right. doesn't. They or, leave that to us, the parents. Right. Like that's the system that's set up that that has fallen to our three daughters is we're going to teach you reading, writing, and math and science and all that other stuff. 
Um, you teach them how to be a good person. Well, yes and no, Todd. We, we'd have to kind of go back and forth about this because there is social and emotional learning that's that's built in to the curriculum. I'm more thinking like when they do tests, standardized oh, yeah. tests. Standardized testing like has nothing stuff. to do Obviously, with Obviously, school's about social interaction. Right. But I I just feel like that is not a high enough priority on our school about system. About our educational system. Yes. And, again, and I know this is not what you're saying, but again, because we're trying to be clear um, – the, it shouldn't be the teacher's job to no. teach children empathy. No. That's not what you're saying. What you're saying is that it's such an important part of being a human being on this earth that why isn't it just as important? Why is that not something that why, we focus on? Why right? wouldn't there be an empathy class? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. That's not too yeah. hard to imagine. We came in and did that at our school here at, in Elmhurst. We taught BU for, let's see, I don't know, like six weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was about this, yeah. exactly that. Yeah. It, it can be done. Compassion for yourself and others. And I don't know. I just get frustrated. I agree. I agree. And so it's not about dumping more stuff on the teachers. It's about making it, it you know. The system. The system. Not, the, the, the teachers are, um, they have to go along with the program. Right. Let's change the program. Yes. That's I all. hear what you're saying. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. Absolutely. And, and the, to change the program, it's a systemic thing because we... You know, we know this research. It's it's so funny because it takes education, workplaces, families even to catch up with research, right. and which is natural, I guess. You know, we're all in our patterns, but a workplace needs to view that as important. Yeah. You know, a, a a college needs to view that as important, and I think there are many people who will say, "Oh, yes, we do view it as as important." But is it as important as mm-hmm. it really is in real life? Right. That what did you say it was number three of number the... three on this one? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different, but yeah, I mean, this is I've 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 often said like if I could have my choice between my daughter being really really smart in math and reading and writing or being having a si- a high social intelligence emotional, yeah, emotional intelligence, intelligence give me the emotional and social Amen. thing yeah. the reading and writing is important but not nearly as important as the type of person that they end up being well you know it's funny two people stopped me today um to talk about Casserly's interview oh, yeah. that we did a conversations with people we love a couple of weeks ago uh with a girl who um she's in our BU girls club but more importantly she was cut from a soccer team and handled that experience in such a uh, emotionally mature way. And when I say that, I don't mean she didn't cry. She cried right here on the show. She felt sadness. She felt disappointment. She felt fear. It wasn't about what she felt. It's how she handled it mm. after that. My my intention of bringing this up is a girl like that who, and, and, I'm, not, and I'm not saying they were wrong for them making the change in, in cutting her, but that that is the type of human being that you would want on your team. Right. Because you can have people who are excellent in their foot skills and excellent in, you know, being aggressive on the soccer field. But if they're not a good person, if they're unkind or if they, because you and I were talking about how sometimes you can have people on your team who actually break down the rest of the team. Right. That their social- They bring them down. Their social and emotional unawareness, regardless of their foot skills- can really challenge the team. That happens with baseball and basketball all and football the time. all the time. It's chemistry. It is. If you have somebody who totally brings you down, mm-hmm. um, who like, it's like, what? what is that called? Like a toxic to the rest of the team. Right. And so, you know, the goal is, is to have people who are empathetic and compassionate toward themselves and others. And so you build mm-hmm. a team. Phil Jackson is actually on Super Soul Sunday today. He's a rock star. I know. Actually, he's a basketball star, but he's also... Kind of rock star. I mean, means that he's highly 
intelligent in the stuff that you and I care about. Yes. And he, um, you know, perfect example from when Todd and I in the nineties in Chicago, um, you know, he had all these players on his team, different personalities, different personalities, Dennis Rodman for Mm -hmm. crying out loud, people that, that people believed were untamable. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah. And he was able to create something cohesive Mm -hmm. through these, these skills of meditation and, and teamwork and allowing other people to thrive and feeling good about the fact that it's a uh, team sport rather than a me sport. You don't find that in coaches a lot. No, no. Uh, Number three, you know, you know what else empathy does? It drives thoughtful problem solving. Um, empathic problem solvers put themselves in others' shoes in a way that allows them to design life-saving baby warmers, e- easily collapsible baby strollers, energy-saving car-sharing services. Wait, I'm missing everything you're saying. Basically, what it means is in order for us to fix the problems of tomorrow, uh-huh. we need to have problem solvers that care about energy. Ah, uh, you know, I like see. If they, you know, there's probably a really smart kid somewhere, son or a daughter, who says, why are we burning all this oil and all the CO2 emissions? Yeah, let's figure out a better way. Let's, he needs to care about our environment first before he even dedicates any energy towards fixing this problem. And you know why this is so important to talk about is that when people talk about, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what's my purpose, mm-hmm. what am I here for, which has many, many different answers um, and is a very individual. But whatever you believe strongly about, whatever you care about in a passioned way, there it is. And you may say, but it's movies. Well, then make it be movies. You know what I mean? Like work in that system or, you know, write movies or write screen. It it doesn't have to be, you know, fossil fuels like that. And I hope there are people who care about that because we need that worked on and the environment and such. But whatever your passion is, um, whatever you feel passionate about Mm -hmm. is where your empathy is at its highest. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. <laughs> you do not want to have deep conversations. I don't. You, well, I I'm can not tell deep you're today. like, no, no, sweetie, you're totally deep. But I can tell you're like, you want to move on to the next one. Well, I actually, that was it. I'm just deciding. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't know if I wanted to talk about what parents can do because it's specific to voices. Play with dolls, pretend, play, read together. You know, it's all stuff that's. So was this article specific to boys? Is that what you're saying? It was. But it's really universal truth. Pretty much everything we just talked about the last 15 minutes applies applies to both boys and girls. But what they, what parents can do is, you know, they talk about gender specification, about how, you know, before a kid's one, he's got, before a boy is one, he's got trucks and tanks and everything else. And, you know, let them experience both sides of it. Well, as we have uh, probably discussed on previous shows, but what Todd and I experienced is we had many um, uh, interactions with fathers who were very upset when their sons would play with dolls or push dolls in yeah. a stroller and they would take them away or make light of it or make fun of it, mm-hmm. even if they didn't literally take it. And you want to be like, don't you want them to be a good dad? Yeah. Or don't you want them to understand how to take care of people? Right. When do, when does that skill become gender specific? Yeah. Why is you know? Why is, why is that specific to a daughter and not a son? That's crazy. Yeah. And that's also a misunderstanding of... So it's a good blog. I'll put it on the show notes in case you want to read it. It's actually nice and short. I like short blogs, sweetie. I know this. Long blogs, sometimes I get bored, bored mm-hmm. or tired. Yeah. Or bored and tired. It's a bad combination. Um. So, but And then I'll also put uh, Casserly's interview in the show notes because that was a pretty incredible yeah. interview. Thanks, yeah. Casserly. Uh-huh. Um, so now I want to do one other public service announcement Okay. on one of the Facebook pages. Somebody asked somebody, what is a really good app for my two year old (laughs) for their iPads? (laughs) And I don't know how to say this without 
being kind. I can say it in a say way that's it. kind. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that a child two and under doesn't even have screen technology in their life. And I feel like that's been kind of but out there. But what about baby Mozart, sweetie? <laughs> Which we did, by the way. We did. We did. We did. That was a, a learning curve for us. Um, you know, the whole for baby our first Mozart. daughter. Yeah. The whole idea that watching those things spin around on TV could actually stimulate her brain. And again, it sounds so silly now. It but does. We, that you lady know, made a bunch of money. She doing sure that did. Too. And she sold it. She sold to it to Disney. Disney, I think. yeah. Um, but, and, and I don't think she was. It, here's the thing we're going to make fun of her. But at the same time, she wasn't trying to harm. Mm-hmm. That was her passion. Yeah. That was, she was trying to help she may not have had the research available to her that screen technology for a child two and under is not good for their brain development and here's what we have to understand if that is the case and that brains are continuing to develop all the way through the age of 25 Mm -hmm. then why do we somehow think we go from zero technology to like 10 hours a day for a six-year-old and that i'm exaggerating six hours a day for a six-year-old and that that's a good thing. Yeah. The, the American Academy of Pediatrics also recommends no more than two hours of screen time for a child two and up. Mm. Um, and so we, that's always been kind of stuck in my brain. I'm sure that's stuck in your brain too, but we, that's kind of, cause that's what we do with the girls. Yeah. Now the truth is, is sometimes it goes over that because when we're talking about screen technology, we're talking about phones, mm-hmm. we're talking about computers at school. Right. They may be on the computer for an hour at school. Right. Um, we're talking about a TV show. We're mm-hmm. talking about iPad time. So all the above, all of the above. So you have to take all of that into account. And unfortunately, just because we have more technology doesn't mean the research changes. Right. Because what they've learned is that the you know synapses and the neural pathways that are being created in the brain cannot be created appropriately if they don't make the connections they need to if they're in front of screens all the time. Right. So this is not just a don't do it because... See, I, I'm more like don't do it because it just doesn't feel right. But well, you're, you're coming at it from a scientific standpoint, which is even better. Well, and the reason that synapses and neural pathways become created and become and begin to connect is when we start to use our hands and have experiences. That's why it's so important to, you know touch and feel and being in sand and climbing a rope and you you make connections based on your body movement and what you touch and experience watching a screen i'm not saying that sesame street can't teach maybe counting to 10 it's not that it does nothing but it doesn't do that deep brain development that a kid needs that the whole counting to 10 with sesame street is like a totally different layer that's like an icing yeah you know what i mean right. it's, not it's not in place of way to do it yeah thank you it's not in place of in addition to thank you you just said rope and it reminded me of a movie line what movie is this from would you like some red rope licorice i have no idea any of you listeners know what that's from i have no idea i usually know your quotes but that would you one like I any don't... red rope licorice if you know that let me know i do oh no it wasn't forrest gump was it no it sounds like a forrest gump thing yeah. but i don't remember him with licorice but he did have chocolates Life is like a box of chocolates. I think I have a gum. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, I don't have it. Okay. Sorry. Um, our next partner is Dr. Kelly, who I haven't seen in about a week and a half. Bad. Hope she's not mad at me. We were there on Tuesday. So they are a chiropractor. Their number is 630-941-8733. Um, if you want your family to be well and have some wellness visits, that's what we do. Every single week we go to see her. We do. And it's funny because I was just talking with someone and I said, you know, I'm picking up JC because we have a chiropractic appointment. She goes, oh, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. We all go. And she goes, what's wrong with all of you? Yeah, what are you? And I was like, absolutely nothing. It's wellness. It's just alignment. And she was, she was like, oh, that's interesting. And don't forget about her uh, workshop that she has coming up on ear infections on July 15th at 10, 15 a.m. Uh, you can sign up for that at chirotree.com. Space is limited. So check it out. 
So now I haven't prepared you for this, but oh. I'm going to create a scenario and I'm going to make fun of a very specific type of mom, type of mom, not a specific mom. Not a person. So let's say you're talking to me, you're you, and I'm just some random mom. Okay. And just ask me just a normal question. How are you? Oh, I'm doing really, really fine. Thank you very much. Hey, you get, stop doing that, you little girl. She's talking to her daughter, right? Okay, she calls her you little girl. Right, you, let's call her Grace. Okay. Hey, Gracie, God, you, you're terrible. I hate you, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, what were you saying? <laughs> so the point that you're trying to make is that a mom. Why do moms, and probably dads too, but I see moms. Moms are so nice to me, and then they will just berate their kid in front of me. Right. Like it doesn't connect. What's going on? Who are these moms? Well, why, why are they doing this? Well, first of all, like you said, it can be moms and dads. Second of all, I think that the pieces that are missing, number one, there's some habit of um, they're doing social graces with you because they don't know you very well. And they think because they are the parent of this child, they can speak to them in any way they I want. I would prefer that the mom is rude to me. And nice to her kid. To their child. Yeah, they got it. They got it backwards. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is, is we there many many shows ago we had on a guy who wrote a blog about how some of us feel that we have the ben permission. Martin. Ben Martin, that's our buddy. Yeah, that we have permission to be unkind totally. to our kids. That we somehow we can make them feel stupid and idiotic and make fun of them, and that we somehow have permission to do that because we're their parent or yeah. because they're a kid. And they're really, we are all souls. I'll use that word. We are all people who deserve respect. And regardless of the hierarchy, again, I know parents are in charge and adults need to be in charge, but it doesn't make children any less valuable human beings. Right. And that even though we may need to set boundaries and have limits, that doesn't necess- that doesn't mean we get to be cruel to kids. Um, that was a really good podcast we did. It's zenparentingradio.com slash 156, and it's called Speaking Down to Children and Lessons from Frozen. Mm-hmm. Frozen, <laughs> still around. Go. I know. Can't hit that high note today. Um, you can't hit that ever, really. Whoa. Usually. Is that a shot? No, but that you seemed, said... That seemed like a shot. But you said today, but is that really a note you could... Ever hit? I can hit it like a Dina. Okay, speaking of, we never talked about our uh, our New York um, trip, but we saw a Dina. Yeah. We went to see her musical when we were there. And it, it was, was great. really good. And it was funny because I was telling uh, um, some of my friends, um, I said we went to see the Adina Menzel musical and they didn't know who that was. What are they, crazy? No, but they, they don't have kids. Oh. So they were like, and one of my friends said they, they don't know because they're not watching Frozen 50,000 yeah. times. Yeah. So, but for those of you it's who called know, If Then. If Then. It was really And we good. saw the Book of Mormon too. Yes, we did. Which was interesting. It was great. If Then was, I liked If Then better though. I liked them both. It's a vehicle of expectations. I went in with high expectations for Book of Mormon and they're so rarely met whenever I walk into a place. And I didn't know anything about If Then. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah, it was really good. Um, Do you want to talk about your three things? How much time do we have? We're 30 minutes in. Okay. I think that we can do these quickly um, and not necessarily quickly, but I think we can do them with, do them precisely. Yes. How's that? So I was telling Todd that I was having a conversation with um, some fellow uh, writers and people who do similar things that we do. And I was finding these threads that came out through all of our conversations about why and how we teach what we teach. And the language that I came up with is three three things that content people do. And there are many, many things. Like I don't like lists that are definitive. These are just three things that I recognize today. Right. You know? 
But the first one is one of the most important, and I find this is probably um, a skill that I've been practicing long enough that I can utilize it on a daily basis, and it's it's changed my life immensely. And that's differentiating between feelings, thoughts, and me. Mm, um, that's a handful right I there. I know. And what that means is that sometimes I get lost in thought, and one thought will go to another thought, and it'll go to another thought, it'll go to another thought. And then the practice that I've developed over many years is that I can actually, instead of trying to solve any of those thoughts, I can literally be like, I don't need to think about any of that anymore and let it go away. Mm. And that is not easy because people believe that what whatever they're thinking is true. Right. But the truth is that thoughts are just thoughts. Right. And the whole reason that people meditate or find stillness or find time for quiet, whatever language you want to use, is the practice of realizing when you sit there for 5, 10, 8, 20 minutes, thoughts just come in and out and they don't mean anything. Right. They're just thoughts. Yeah. And what we do is we connect every feeling that we have to a thought that's coming through and that makes our day completely volatile. And we don't give meaning behind everything else that our body does, no. like our kidneys doing whatever our kidneys no. do and our heart pumping, but yet we give this um uh what is what we word? give power power Extreme to power. our thoughts and our our thoughts are important but they're not all-encompassing. Here's here's a fun experience that I have in meditation is sometimes I'll be sitting there and, and, and again, just so you guys know, your thoughts never stop. Your thoughts are constant. That's mm. the other thing you learn in meditation is it's not about stopping thinking. Mm. It's not about stopping thoughts. It's being able to notice your thoughts, which is a big difference between being your thought and noticing. Right. So sometimes I'll be in meditation. I'll be in a good place where I really can make that slight separation. And sometimes my thoughts will keep going and great ideas come in mm-hmm. and my brain processes them and starts to piece things together. And I'll have that moment of that beautiful connection where my thoughts are doing exactly what this computer, which right. is my brain, is supposed to do. It's piecing together all of these wonderful things to give me these creative ideas or to give me a new direction. The thoughts are essential, meaning I am so grateful for my thoughts. Right. It's not about be angry at your thoughts or push your thoughts away. It's choose which ones support you in living a content a contented life mm-hmm. instead of choose the ones that are negative, the, the negative self tape that we all have. We all have our own negative self tape, you know, negative self tape. Negative self talk. Negative, negative self talk. Self talk. Negative tape in our head. That's what I was trying to okay. say. I said it the wrong way. Okay. Um, but those are thoughts that you can actually, you can look at them and maybe there's something you want to shift. Maybe it's telling you something that you would like to focus on. But if it's just a bunch of crap that doesn't help you at all, yeah. Yeah. let it go. Yeah. And that's what's so cool is that's the practice is you realize a lot of people get scared like, well, I can't stop thinking about that because what if something happens? You know, what if I don't, you know, focus on it enough and something bad happens? And the truth is, is once you practice letting go of negative thoughts for a while, you realize that you never needed them. Well, and I just like to observe the thoughts. Yeah. If you can observe the thoughts instead of let it become It's you, the same thing, Todd. Yeah. It, it, when I say let it go, in no way do I mean you have to get rid of it. Right. What I mean is just allow it to come in and go out. Got it. You don't have to push it down. You don't have to repress it. You don't have to do anything with it. You just don't give it the power that a lot of people do. All right. So differentiate between thoughts and self is All the right. first one. Number two. S- second one. Um practicing what you want rather than talking about what you want. And when I say that, I don't mean practicing going out 
and you know making a million dollars. I don't care about that. It's people that I talk to who are upset or uncomfortable with parts of their life and they talk about it, talk about it, talk about it and they want external things to take care of it instead of doing internal things to make a shift. For example, we talked about on this show about Sean Acor and his happiness book. Um, And he's just one of many people who writes about this, but that was very recent. And about that there's practices. You know, Louise Hay, who's been around forever, she's in her 80s now, has been talking about affirmations the majority of her um, professional life. And people used to make fun of her. That's what Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live was all about, making fun of affirmations. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it. People like me. But as much as we can make fun and, and have, you know, we can we can laugh at that a little bit, but the truth is they work. Mm -hmm. If you talk to yourself in a positive way, you can call them affirmations. You can call them belief systems or goals or intentions about yourself. Mm -hmm. That, That shifts the way you feel, which internal shifts the way you respond to people, which internal shifts your external. Right. When people complain to me about things that this is happening and this is happening, and I'm using the word complain, I don't mean to be disrespectful. When people are telling me things that are happening to them and I'll say, well, what are you doing? And they'll say nothing. Other people need to be doing this for me. Right. They're missing the boat. Yeah. Content people know that they can have practices such as meditation, gratitude lists, lists noticing the good, um, uh, reading books that help them, not watching movies that scare them. Yeah, it's not about just what you attract in. It's it's consciously deciding what to remove what you from re- your life. What you remove and what you, what you take in as truth. Do you have any toxic people in your life? Especially if they're friends. If their family gets a little more complicated. But if you have a toxic friend, either... Just politely check out of the friendship or say, listen, something's got to change here. Right. So there's... And, and you know, the, the simple change could be that you're not as available as you used to be. You don't have to deny people. You don't have to be mean to them and say, you're never going to be in my life again. But instead of making, you know, people who will say, well, I have to go to lunch with this person because they, I have to, because they keep calling yeah, you me. Don't I have, have you to don't do have anything. to do anything. Yeah. And you can be kind and they can be mad, but that's their choice. Right. You know, what's number three? Uh, number three is uh, the most simple one is live in the present time. That's a mouthful, too. That sentence. I want one of the uh, the clocks. I have it on my vision board and it's a picture of a clock. It says and now. It says now for the one o'clock, two o'clock, all the way around to the 12. Well, and I wonder if they sell those clocks. Uh, I, I bet they do. I bet you could find it on Amazon even. The time is now. Well, there is nothing else. And and I'm not saying that from a philosophical point of view. I'm saying that literally. There's just nothing else but right this second. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that shouldn't make us anxious as much as it should give us relief that all the things that we did yesterday that we're still feeling bad about don't exist. And all the things that we're worried about could happen when our kids turn 18 or 13 or, you know, what could happen to us tomorrow, it, it hasn't happened. Right. So all that worry and all those thoughts, that goes back to number one. Mm-hmm. See how this is a cycle. That's right. Um, they harm us and they're not true. The only thing that's, you know, that's real is right now. So if you live in present time and you feel... Well, one thing that I want to say is that I struggled with that because I really used to, um, I was told a long time ago that the best parts of life were memories and anticipation. Mm. And I took that to be very literal, like, oh, everything is about a memory and everything is about anticipating an event. And that kept me from present time. Totally. So when I started to make that shift, it was a grieving process because I had to let go of putting all my eggs in the basket of tomorrow. And I had to let go of, you know, glory days, Bruce Mm -hmm. Springsteen. We just listened to that the other night. We did. 
um, you know, which is focusing on what used to happen and deriving happiness from that. It's not that you can't derive happiness from that time. It's that that can only do so much for you. It's not that if you have good history and you want to think about it, go for it, especially if it propels you forward. But if it holds you back, then it's not helping you. So present time is such a comfortable, um, loving place. Yeah. Just be now, man. And it's a practice. It is. Because... No such thing as a perfection. No. Well, you can never be present 24-7 unless you're a dog. Um, or, or another an animal. Or another animal. Yeah, I think dogs take on, according to Eckhart, uh, take on... They've been around humans so long from an evolution standpoint, they take on a lot of the characteristics of human behavior. Yeah. Whereas a squirrel, I think that squirrel is probably pretty present. I don't think it's worried Except about... Except when he's hiding his nuts. I'm not saying dirty things. <laughs> he's, he's, I'm talking he about forgets. Well, those he, the squirrels are cute, but you, you got to remember where you bury your food. But it's hard. Do you remember you organize things in our house and you put them in the attic and you can't find them? I find them some of the times. That's very squirrelish behavior. <laughs> I'll say, Todd, where's my fitted sheets? Oh, I put them in a tub in the attic. Yeah. I'm like, why are they in a tub in the attic? He's like, we I'm organizing. Yeah. But we do they're use organized. them, honey, just because I don't use them every week. So here's a question from one <laughs> wait, of our listeners. Wait, you're cutting me off. What were you going to say? Nothing. Go ahead. Um, it's uh, So here we go. Take a listen. Hi, um, Kathy and Todd. My name is April Garrity, and I live in Savannah, Georgia. I love Zen Parenting Radio. I've been listening for about two years, and um, it's just such a blessing. I just have so much gratitude, and I wanted to share that with you guys, first of all. You are helping me every time I listen to a show. It helps me um, parent our children. We have a daughter who's almost 11, a son who is 9, and a daughter who is about to be 5. And my husband and I are really trying to be intentional and self-aware it's really hard for my husband. And I'm just wondering if you might be able to address um, what are some good first steps? What are some good things that he and I could do together? You know, how did you guys get started on this journey of being conscious parents and self-aware parents? We have um, our oldest daughter has severe ADHD and our son has, um, he has mild Asperger syndrome. And those are some parenting challenges for us that we struggle with, but we're really trying to get better. And um, we're just looking for resources, books that might be a good starting place for my husband um, to help him get in touch with his self-awareness. Anything that you could offer, I would be so appreciative. Thank you for all that you do. She's very um, very nice to us. She is. Not only was she nice to us, she's very articulate. She did a beautiful job with that. Um, so she had a lot of things in there, but what, do you have any thoughts you want me to yeah. start? Uh, uh, no, go ahead and then I will go. Well, um, I, I don't want to speak specifically to the whole ADHD Asperger thing, but just like, how do we start becoming conscious parents? I think the starting point really is forget about being a parent at all. And how do you become a conscious person? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, um, walk that walk instead of just you know, a lot of people read a book and then they say they're conscious, but their behavior is no different. So first thing is don't focus so much on your parenting, just focus. I I try to live my life with intention and and being conscious. I don't, I'm not always successful. Um, and the byproduct is I'm a good parent, but Mm -hmm. I don't, my intention is not to be a conscious parent. My intention is to be a conscious person Mm -hmm. and then things will naturally flow from that point. How I started was listening to Wayne Dyer tapes 
with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not much of a reader. I like listening stuff. I have a subscription to audible.com. I listen to all my books. But um, Wayne Dyer, Eckhart Tolle, uh, Deepak, uh, who are some other authors? Well, it's interesting because you did start with, um, and I don't know if you started with Wayne Dyer, oh, you started I, with John Gray. Well, John Gray and I did, actually uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. Ste- Stephen Covey. And I think sometimes Stephen Covey and John, and maybe not John Gray, but Stephen Covey and like the Dennis, Waitley, Dennis Waitleys of the world, the, the people who are more business oriented mm. but have that self-awareness piece are sometimes feel like a safer place to start yes. because they don't use spiritual language. Correct. And when I say that I love spiritual language because it's all the same thing, but that can throw people off. Well, and for example, um, Stephen Covey, it's not a spiritual book. It's seven habits of highly effective people. And it's mostly in the setting of a business. That's where you hear most right. often. But in his book, one of the habits is seek first to understand and then to be understood. Correct. If you can do that as a parent, you're halfway there. And the last one is sharpening the saw, number mm-hmm. seven, which is self-awareness and taking care of yourself. You yeah. have to take care of yourself to be good at the rest of these habits. Right. So it's the same stuff. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, Todd and I write and, you know, we, we create things all the time and there's nothing new. Mm-hmm. We're not, the things we're saying are not like new things. They're, we're finding new ways to say it. Yeah. We're finding new way, new metaphors and new ways to explain it. But, you know, just, uh, I think Todd hit it on the head. All you have to do is focus on yourself. And even in your couplehood, instead of focusing on your couplehood, focus on yourself as an individual. Mm-hmm. Focus on what you bring into your couplehood. Exactly. And like you said, like my husband may struggle with it a little more. And to, you know, if he says that, um, that's great because you're already having that vulnerable discussion of, oh, I'm not sure I totally get this. And you can give him suggestions and let him know maybe he's listening to this right now, Mm -hmm. you know, and let him know these are books that are available, but also tell him you'll support him and what he needs to do rather than because for some for everyone it's not it's not really gender specific but for some a run is meditative for some an audiobook is important for some presentation or classes and some it's a mixture of all and don't let's not ever think that we know what's best for other people well one of the things that uh, one of the primary reasons we started this podcast was to create a discussion between a, a, a two parents like they may not agree with everything that we say, but we've done 180 some odd of these podcasts. Listen to one together and there's probably some places where you guys don't agree with each other or with us on that. But, you know, a resource is, you know, we've done 180 of these things or find another parenting podcast. Doesn't matter. And what I think is. one thing that's super important to practice is healthy, compassionate debate. Mm-hmm. And I say those words because debate. I was actually having a talk with my girlfriend yesterday and we were talking about some things that she wanted to say to, uh, you know, to a man that was in her life. And she kept saying, well, I'm going to have to confront him. I'm going to have to confront him. And I said, take that word out of your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Telling someone, if it be a man or a woman, how you feel about something is not a confrontation. It is you sharing what you feel. And that can be done. Confrontation carries such a heavy negative energy. And if you can come to it without having that word on top of your brain and saying, hey, this is, I need you to understand where I'm coming from here. Then you approach it totally different in the energy that you bring to the conversation. I don't need to ever, well, that's not true. I'm sure I have times when I feel like I need to win with you, but my intention is not to win, mm-hmm. even though my ego may 
jump in every once in a while, but my intention is to say what I believe and be as authentically myself as I can. And if you can hear me, then that is the most intimate thing that we could have. Because basically you're saying, I see you, I hear you. I may not agree with everything you say, but who you are has value. And that's what we want to give to our kids. That's what we want to give to ourselves. That's what, you know, I think the most awful pain comes from not speaking our own truth. Mm -hmm. It's not what other people do to us. It's what we don't do for ourselves. And once we start to do that, I feel like people hear us and, and respect and listen. And it's a big cycle from there. Right. Hopefully that helps, but um, anything else you want to say about Uh, it? No, I like the books that you gave. And I would also say, um, uh, you know, Oh, there was another book that I had. There's so many. Gosh, where would we begin? We're actually going to have a page on our website yeah, of all working, the books. Working yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, so last, this is our selfish promotion, promotional stuff as far as what's going on. Um, we have uh, something on Kathy's website, Donate to BU. BU Yay. is the company that we started. And if you are a listener and you want to help us kind of move our company forward with BU. We're still kind of figuring out exactly how everything fits together, but we don't charge anybody for the podcast, obviously. But if there's somebody out there who feels kind-hearted and want to help us kind of launch this company. And let me say this, Todd has wanted a donate button for a long time and I haven't felt comfortable with it. And now I finally feel comfortable with it because I realize how much work we have to do and that it necessitates a lot of money. And that for me to write a curriculum and get it edited and for us to create the presentations we want to create and for us to do the software programs, there's so much to do. And, and I feel, um, and I, and I mean that in the best way, like we can propel this forward and, and spread this message even more. So I feel good about it. So you can do that. Um, Also, on both of our websites, we tweaked our websites a little bit. And if you want to get each podcast delivered to your inbox, you don't have to get on your phone or whatever, just uh, sign up at um, zenparentingradio.com. There is a subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio button. Uh, Just fill that out and you'll be signed up easy enough. Um, And then we have the Race to Nowhere uh, that we're screening that's coming up at Field School on September 11th. So put that on your calendar. Uh, more information on that will be in the show notes. And then lastly, sweetie, you have two books. I do. But even before that, we're going to be at Greenfest. Oh, yeah. Any of you guys who live in the Geneva, Batavia, St. Charles, Western suburb area, Todd and I are going to be at Greenfest. I think it's called Green on the River. What is it called? Um, I don't know. Um, it The weekend is, can you find the weekend? Cause... Uh, Google is not letting me log into oh, my account. I think it's August 10th. We will tell you next. It's in August. It'll be in the show notes. But we're going to, we have a booth and we're going to be there and we might even have our microphone and stuff. So come see us if you're in the Western suburbs. Yeah, we want to meet some listeners. Um, Yeah, it's again, like I said, it's in the Batavia, St. Charles, uh, Geneva area and it's a green fest. And zenparentingradio.com slash 183. We'll have that in our show notes. Okay. um, Anything else you want to say to our listeners, sweetie? No. Keep trucking? Yeah. Um, We went a little long today. Hopefully that doesn't bother you guys too much. If it did, you're probably not listening right now anyways. I've been listening to the same NPR interview um, with about Roger Ebert's movie for like all day. And I just keep pausing it and going back to it. And I think it's wonderful. I think if it's long, it's good. You have something to look forward to. Um, Have a great week, everybody. And we love you. We do. We love you. Thank you for listening. And um, I hope that you have a content week. And keep trucking. All right.